that again you would help me be able to preach your Bible, that we might learn something from the Scriptures tonight. Thank you, Father, for the Bible, and we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to profit from the Word preached tonight. We love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Ruth, chapter number 4, in the last uh, chapter as we study the life of Ruth. And, you know, to understand the book of Ruth and to understand, there's so many things in this passage that we've had to study out to really understand it, and tonight is no different. And I'd like you to understand a couple of things. As we've been studying through the book of Ruth, you might have noticed, if you go back to Ruth chapter number 2, and look at verse number 1. Remember when we were first introduced to uh, this man, Boaz, in verse 1 of Ruth chapter number 2, the Bible says, And Naomi had a kinsman, alright? I want you to make note of that word, kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Now, the Bible is very clear to tell us that Naomi had this relative, this kinsman, whose name was Boaz. The word kinsman means, you, you ever, you know, fill out an application, or, or maybe like some sort of uh, insurance application or something, and they ask you for your next of kin. The, the terminology there is that of, of, of a relative who is close to you. And Naomi had a kinsman, and really it was her husband who had a kinsman, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, that was the name of her husband, and his name was Boaz. Look at verse number 20 there in the same chapter, chapter 2, verse 20. Look what it says, And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, remember when Ruth went to the to, and met Boaz for the first time, and in verse 20 it says, And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man, talking about, uh, talking about uh, Boaz, she said, The man, notice what she says, is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. She said this man is a relative, not of Ruth necessarily, or even of Naomi, but of her husband. She said he's very, he's, he's our next of kin. He's our near kinsman. He's very close to us when it comes to their physical family relationship. And you say, why is that so important in the story of Ruth? What, what you've got to understand, if you go with me to the book of Leviticus, Chapter number 25, you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter number 25. To really understand the concepts being taught here, you've got to understand a certain law in the Bible referred to as the law of the kinsman redeemer. The law of the kinsman redeemer. You say, what are you talking about? Well, as you study the books, uh, the, the law there, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you find this concept taught throughout the scripture. And it's the uh, concept of the kinsman redeemer. Are you there in Leviticus chapter 25? Look at verse number 25. Leviticus chapter number 25. And if you look at verse number 25, the Bible says, notice what it says, If thy brother be waxen poor and has sold away some of his possession, and if any of his, notice this terminology, kin, come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. Now what you got to understand is, in the Bible there's this concept of a kinsman redeemer. This was the concept of a family member, who was a someone maybe of money or, or possessions or strength or ability. And this man had the responsibility, legal responsibility, to redeem his family out of bondage. See, what would happen in these days is when people would get into... It wasn't like America in 2012. 
When people get into a lot of debt and they just, you know, file bankruptcy and they're done with it. In these days, you got into a lot of debt, you got into a lot of financial problems, you know, you ended up becoming a servant. You ended up becoming a slave for seven years to pay off what you owed. But the Bible says, if thy brother be waxen poor, so you've got a family member, he's poor. He's, he hasn't done well with finances. And has sold away some of his possessions. So he's sold some of his stuff. The word possessions there is referring to like land that maybe was in the family for many decades. You know what I'm talking about? You ever heard of like, fam, you know, where like a family will own a farm for like a hundred years. It's just passed down to that same family. He says, you know, there, you, you had a brother who had property. It's been in the family for a long time. But because he hasn't been good with his finances, he had to sell that property. He had to sell those possessions. He said the law would allow for someone in that same family, a next of kin, someone who was close to that family, if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. So that that was allowed there, you know, like let's say I got into debt, I had, a, I had property, it's been in my family for generations, but I have to sell it because of my financial dealings. I could have, could have a brother or an uncle or a grandfather or a father or somebody close to me that was, was better with finances and they could come and they could be my kinsman redeemer. They would allow the next of kin to redeem that property in order to keep it in the family. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the law of the kinsman redeemer. But it goes even further than that. If you go, you're there in Leviticus, go to Numbers, chapter number 5. There's more to being a kinsman redeemer than just uh, redeeming financially people out of bondage and their possessions out of bondage. You know, it's like if you had like a family heirloom that had been in the, in the family for many years. And you're, you know, you know how everybody has that uncle? <laughs> that uncle that's just kind of a failure. And it's like your uncle said, I, I took the family heirloom to the pawn shop because I needed to pay rent. You know what I mean? And then the kinsman redeemer could come and then redeem. Maybe you're that uncle. I don't know. But the kinsman redeemer could come and then redeem that possession. Or even if the, the uncle's been sold into slavery because of his debt. Redeem that person financially. So the kinsman redeemer had to be somebody of money. Had to be somebody successful. Look at verse, you're there in Numbers chapter 5. Look at verse 5. Not only that, but the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, When a man or woman shall commit any sin that men commit, to do trespass against the Lord, and that person be guilty. So this person did something wrong, and they're guilty of it. Then they shall confess their sin, which they have done, and he shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof, and add unto it the fifth part thereof, and give it unto him against whom he had trespassed. But, if the man have, notice what it says, no kinsman to recompense the, tres, the trespass unto, let the trespass be recompensed unto the Lord, even to the priest, beside the ram of the atonement, whereby an atonement shall be made for him. Now, here we're studying about, uh, we're learning about a situation where there is no kinsman. But what the Bible teaches us is this. Not only was the kinsman redeemer someone who would redeem financially people who were in trouble financially, this was also someone who had to play the role of an avenger. So let's say that someone did you wrong. There would be this kinsman redeemer in the family who would make sure once the judges and once you know it went through the system and they found the person guilty, he was the enforcer to make sure that that person paid back what they were supposed to pay. Does that make sense to you? 
Do you notice how it says, verse 7, Then they shall confess their sin which they have done, and he shall recompense the trespass with the prince of the foe thereof, and add it into the fifth part thereof, and give it unto him against whom he had trespassed. But if the man have no kinsman to recompense, so the kinsman would be the one that would make sure that the payment was made. But he's saying here, if there is no kinsman, then he can do it unto the priest. You know, it'd be nice if we had a kinsman redeemer today in America. <laughs> I don't know, I, I, well, I used to, one of the first jobs I worked at, I worked at this check cashing store, which was not a good place to work. I mean, it wasn't a bad place to work, but I mean, check cashing stores are just bad. <laughs> you know, if you ever, we, we did payday loans and all these things. But a lot of times we do payday loans and people wouldn't pay. And, 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 you know, I was 18 years old and I was the most responsible one there, so they made me the manager. <laughs> you know, there was like 30 year olds working there. And, but one of my jobs, which I actually enjoyed, was when people owed us money, we would take them to small claims court. And my job was to play the part of the lawyer for the business. I mean, do you see how ridiculous this is? You know, play the part of the lawyer for the business, and I would get all you know, our, our trial, our things together. And I, I mean, I literally have taken, um, not hundreds, but I've taken many, many people to court in, in, you know, for, for this company that I used to work for in small claims court. And won a bunch, you know, because it's easy to prove that they forged a check or whatever. But you know what I found out was that you can win in court and it means absolutely nothing. Because it's totally up to you to collect. You know what I mean? And a lot of times my, the owner of my company would say, don't let them leave without paying something. I mean, they, he'd be like, take the wheels off their car if they're willing to give it. Because we're never going to see them again and we're not going to get anything, you know, a, a, a legal a paper saying that you won in court means nothing unless you are able to, to you know, uh, get that payment. And this is what God was taking care of. He says that if, if one of your family members has had something done wrong to them, and the person's found guilty, they've got to pay them. But to make sure they get paid, you've got a kinsman redeemer. You understand that? So this would be like the protector of the family. This would be the person who say, hey, you've got to pay up. You hurt my niece, or you hurt my cousin, or you hurt my whoever, and you've got to make sure that this is paid. So the kinsman redeemer had a few uh, responsibilities. They would help people financially when they needed the help. They would make sure that recompense and payment was made when they were, um, laws were broken. You're there in, in Numbers, uh, go to Numbers chapter 35. Look at verse number 15. Numbers chapter 35, in verse 15. Numbers 35, you're there in Numbers 5, right? Numbers 35. Look at verse number 15. Numbers 35, 15. The Bible says, These six cities shall be a refuge. The Bible teaches us this concept of cities of refuge. Both for the children of Israel and for the stranger, and for the sojourner among them, that everyone that killeth any person unawares may flee hither. Now, I know there's a lot to go through here, so just kind of stay with me. But you got to understand this. If in the time of Israel, in the Old Testament Israel, if you accidentally killed someone, there was these six cities, they were called cities of refuge, where you were allowed to run into, and you could stay there, and nobody could hurt you. You say, well, who would be trying to hurt you? Well, the kinsman redeemer. Look at verse 6. And if he smite him with an instrument of iron, so that he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he smite him with throwing a stone, wherewith he may die, and he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he smite him with an hand weapon of wood, wherewith he may die, and he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. The revenger, notice what he says. The revenger of blood, this is the kinsman redeemer, himself shall slay the murderer. When he meeteth him, he shall slay him. 
One of the jobs that the kinsman redeemer had is that if somebody, they didn't have police in these days. And one of these days I'll preach a whole sermon on why they didn't have police in the Old Testament uh, Israel days. But one of the jobs that this kinsman redeemer had is that if someone killed your family member, he was the revenger of blood and his job was to go make sure that that person was put to death because they killed someone. Now, if they killed someone accidentally, they didn't mean to kill them. That's where verse uh, uh, 15 is. These six cities shall be a refuge both for the children of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among that everyone that killeth any person unawares may flee hither. If you accidentally killed, you weren't trying to kill someone, but maybe there was an accident or something happened and you, you know, we call it today manslaughter where you accidentally kill somebody. They, the revenger of blood could come after you to kill you, the kinsman and redeemer. But if you ran to one of these cities of refuge, then he couldn't do that. Does that make sense? I know I'm going through a lot, but you need to understand this. The kinsman redeemer, his job was to to redeem financially. His job was to protect the family. And his job was to bring vengeance and revenge uh, when, when family members were hurt or killed. Go back to uh, Ruth chapter number 3. I have to say all that to say this. Ruth chapter number 3. If you look at verse number... Actually, go to Ruth chapter 2. Look at verse 1 again. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband... Notice what it says, a mighty man of wealth. This, this man could perform the duties of a kinsman, redeemer, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Boaz was the kinsman, redeemer. But here's what you've got to understand. If you go, go, to, uh, go to Ruth chapter number 3, look at verse number 8. Ruth chapter number 3 and verse 8. I don't know if studying the Bible bores you, but this kind of stuff is very interesting to me. Ruth, chapter number 3, and verse 8, the Bible says, And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. Remember we dealt with these verses last week? And he said, Who art thou? And she said, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid. Notice what she says. For thou art a near kinsman. Now remember we went through that last week and we talked about that terminology there. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine hand. She was asking, Marry me. Take care of me. Purchase me. And she said, here's why I'm asking you to do that. For, she said, because thou art a near kinsman. You notice that? She's saying, Boaz, you're the kinsman redeemer. You're the one that's supposed to take care of our family when they're in financial problems. You're the one that's supposed to take care of our family when we're in bondage. You're supposed to protect us and avenge us. And she said, I'm a widow here, and and you're near of kin unto my husband and my father-in-law. And she's saying, would you take care of us? Would you take us under your skirt? Would you marry me? Because you're the near kinsman. Look at verse 10. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter. For thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do thee all that thou requirest. She says, he says, I'm going to do everything you're asking me to do. He says, I am near of kin to you. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. How be it? Notice there's a problem. He says, and now, you look at verse 12. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit, notice what he says, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Do you see that? 
He says, I, he said, it's true, I am your near kinsman. But he said, I'm not your kinsman redeemer because there's actually a kinsman closer in relationship to Elimelech than I am. Look, he says, verse 13, tarry this night. He says, just wait. And it shall be in the morning that if he, talking about the near, the kinsman nearer than I, if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of the kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. Are you following the story? He's saying, he's saying, I am a near kinsman, but there's a kinsman closer to you. And, and that nearer kinsman, he has the responsibility of protecting. He has the responsibility of redeeming. He has the responsibility of avenging. He says, if he won't do the part of a kinsman, I'll do the part of a kinsman. But we've got to check with him first. Look at verse 15. And also he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, and laid it on her. And she went into the city. And she came to her mother-in-law, and she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me. And he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until we have finished the thing this day. That's where we ended last week. Ruth comes back home to her mother-in-law Naomi, and Naomi says, just wait. He's not going to rest till this matter is taken care of. He's going to deal with the near kinsmen, and they're going to figure this thing out. Verse 4, that's where we find ourselves tonight. Then went Boaz up to the gate, and sat him down there, and behold... The kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by. This is the nearer kinsman. Unto whom he said, Poe such a one. Turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. So he sees his nearer kinsman. He said, hey, hey, hold on a second. I got, I got some business to deal with. Look at verse 2. And he took ten men of the elders of the city. He finds ten, ten men. You know, He's like at the city hall. You know, The, the wall was the place where the men came to take uh, care of uh, the, the affairs of the city. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land. He says, look, Naomi's poor. Her husband died. Left, she, all she's got is this land. She's selling it. Which was our brother's Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants, and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, notice what he says, he says, I will redeem it. She says, yeah, I'll buy that land. He says, yeah, I want that land. Naomi's selling a parcel of land because she's, she's broke. I'll redeem that. I won't let that go out of the family. I'll take care of it. Look at verse 5. Then said Boaz, there's a few things you've got to know about this land. He says, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi... He says, Thou must buy it also of Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. You say, what, what's going on here? Well, see, Boaz says to this man, he says, Hey, Naomi's selling a parcel of land. It's in our family. It, it, it belongs to our brother Elimelech. She's selling it, and it's going to come out of our family. And he, and he says, you know, if you want to redeem it, go ahead and redeem it. He says, I, I could use more land. I have the money. I'm a kinsman redeemer. I, I'm wealthy, and I'm able to do it. I'll go ahead and redeem it. And he says, there's a problem, though. When the land doesn't come by itself, when you purchase the land, it comes with a little lady named Ruth. 
the Moabites. Look at the last part of verse 5. The wife, notice this, this is important. The wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. You say, what is that talking about? Keep your finger there, Ruth. Go back to Genesis chapter number 38. Genesis chapter number 38. See, so you've got to understand, a lot of times when you read the Bible, you, you've got to, this is why you've got to read your Bible cover to cover a few times to be able to really grab, and by the way, this is why you need to go to church. Say, well, pastor, where did you learn all this? Guess, guess where I learned all this? Church. It was taught to me like it's being taught to you. Genesis 38, look at verse number 7. Genesis 38 and verse 7. The Bible teaches us this principle. Verse 7 of Genesis 38 says, Ur and Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. So Judah had a son named Ur. He was a wicked man, and God killed him. And Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise seed to thy brother. There was a custom. See, one of the other jobs the kinsman redeemer had was this. If you had a brother who... Now, understand, this is a different culture. It's not American. If you had a brother who had married a wife, but did not have children, and your brother died, or your cousin died, or whoever it was, one of the responsibilities of the kinsman redeemer was to marry that wife, and have a child with that wife. But here's the thing. The child did not take the name of the kinsman redeemer. It took the name of the brother that was dead, so that name... That lineage would not end there. Do you understand that? Uh, because if a, if a man had a wife and never had children, that's where that family line would end. And that was a, a great disgrace. So the kinsman redeemer would come in and he would have a child. He would marry that woman and have a child with that, ba- with that woman. But that child would not take on that person's name. It would take on the name of the brother. So that lineage could continue. So they wouldn't get rid of that name in Israel. Look at verse 8. And Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise up seed. Notice what he says, To thy brother. He says, Your brother's dead. We don't want to get rid of his lineage. So you marry his wife, and you raise up seed to him. Look at verse 9. And Onan knew that the seed, notice what it says, should not be his. He knew that if he had a child with this woman, that child wouldn't be considered his child. It would be considered the child of his dead son, of his dead brother, excuse me. And it came to pass, when he went in unto his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground, lest he should give seed to his brother. And I'm not going to get into details there, but quite frankly, he wanted to have the pleasure of a relationship without taking the responsibility of having a child. You know, that's birth control, by the way. Verse 10, And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. But and I'm not preaching about that, but I want you to understand, one of the responsibilities of a kinsman redeemer was to raise up seed. So here's the thing, go back to Ruth. The kinsman who's near, I know, you guys like it when I'm like screaming and yelling and being mean. These are the summons I like when we're like really studying the Bible. <laughs> the kinsman redeemer's job was not only to redeem financially, was not only to make sure that judgments were settled, was not only to protect the family, was not only to avenge the blood, but one of his jobs was to make sure that the name of their brothers did not end when death came without children. Does that make sense? Look look at verse 4 of chapter 4 in Ruth. And I thought, this is Boaz speaking to the near kinsman, and I thought to advertise thee, saying, buy it before the inhabitants. And before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. He said, I'll redeem the parcel of land. That's fine, I'll buy it. 
Verse 5. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field? He said, You're not just buying a field. He said, The day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess. And not only are you going to buy it from Ruth, the wife, she's the wife of the dead. Remember, her husband died. The wife of the dead. He said, To raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. He said, Not only are you buying this land, but you're purchasing a wife with the land. And you've got to give her children. And as children are we considered the child of Naomi, not your children. Look at verse 6. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself. <laughs> He's like, ah, that's a little too much commitment for me. He said, I cannot redeem it for myself. He said, lest I mar mine own inheritance. He said, look, I've already got my wife. This is, gonna, this is not going to fly with my wife. You know, me purchasing another wife. That, that's going to you know, put a red flag up. So he said, I can't do this. He said, lest I mar mine own inheritance. And he says, redeem thou my right to thyself. Notice these words, for I cannot redeem it. Say, Pastor Jimenez, what is this all about? Here's very, I, don't, I don't plan on spending a lot of time tonight. In fact, I'm almost done. <laughs> but what you got to say, remember when we started this, when we started the study in the book of Ruth, who, did we, who does Ruth represent? Ruth represents you and I, the church, believers. Who does Boaz represent? The Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, isn't there a great, uh, isn't it great to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer? That it is His job to redeem us? That it is His job to purchase us? That it is His job to protect us? That it is His job to avenge us? That it is His job to take care of us? That is the Lord. He's near of kin to us. But the problem is there is someone who's near of kin. See, one of the reasons that Jesus not only had to be God, you know, 100% God, but at the same time He had to be 100% man, is because He had to be related to us. Do you understand that? He had to be close in family to us. He had to be a descendant of Adam in a certain way, because He needed to be a near kinsman. But the problem is that there's a closer Redeemer. There is someone closer to us than the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, who is that? Very simply put. See, what you got to understand is, who can save us from our sins? Do you know? That should be a pretty easy question. Good night. The Lord Jesus Christ. But you know that there's another way of salvation? Pastor, what are you talking about? There is another way of salvation. The other way of salvation, go with me to the book of, keep, keep reading the root. Go with me to Romans. The book of Romans in the, in the New Testament. The other way of salvation is this. It's going to sound completely contradictory. It goes against everything I believe in. It does. And I'll explain it here in a second. But the other way of salvation is through the law. Say, what are you talking about? Hypothetically, if a human being could be born. Now, understand this. We are born sinners. So this could never happen. But if a human being could be born and never sin they'd never be condemned. You understand that? Because what condemns us? Sin is a transgression of the law. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law teaches us that we need a, a Savior. But here's the thing. You know, hypothetically, if, if we could follow the law, if we could keep the law, we could be saved without Jesus Christ. You understand that? And by the way, that's what every religion in the world teaches. 
The Catholics, they may not want to admit it, but they keep, you know, the Catholic religion, I don't know why they put Jesus on a crucifix in their, in their, their religion does not need Jesus Christ. They teach you that you can live a good life, keep the commandments, you know, go to church, get baptized, get sprinkled, get done, go to communion, do all these good things, get money to charity, be a good husband, be a good wife. If you do all these things and you keep the law, you can be saved. Hey, that's true. What do you need Jesus for? You understand what I'm saying? These religions that teach work salvation are actually teaching the truth. But you don't need Jesus Christ if you're going to go to heaven through the law. You say, well, well why can't? What's the problem? Well, here's the problem. You're there in Romans chapter number 3. Look at verse 10. My favorite, one of my favorites in the Bible. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. See, the problem with salvation through the law is that you and I cannot keep the law. That's the, that's the problem. The problem through salvation, through the law, is that we're sinners. We're born sinners. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But, hypothetically, if one of us could keep the law, we could be saved without Jesus Christ. The law is a near kinsman. You can keep your finger there in Romans. Go with me to James chapter number 2. These are well-known passages. I've showed them to you many times before, but let, let, look at them again. James chapter number 2. See, the problem we have with salvation through the law, the reason that the Pentecostals are wrong, the reason that the Catholics are wrong, the reason that the Neo-Evangelicals are wrong, the reason that the repent of your sins crowd is wrong, the reason that all these religions that teach work salvation is wrong, is, is found in this verse. James chapter number 2 and verse 10. Look what it says. James 2.10 For whosoever shall keep the whole law. They did everything the Bible says to do. James chapter number 2 and verse 10. After the book of Hebrews. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point. He is guilty of all. You see that? So see, our problem with the law is that we've got to keep all of it. We, it's not just keeping most of it, it's keeping all of it. If we can keep all of it, if we can never sin, if we can never tell a lie, if we can never do anything wrong, you could go to heaven without Jesus Christ. The problem is you can't do that. The problem is I can't do that. The problem is for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The problem is that you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. And the problem is that the law not only cannot save us, it will not save us. Look at, you're there, go back to Romans chapter 3, look at verse 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. How many people do good in this world? No one. Not one. You say, well, my mom was pretty good. No, she wasn't. <laughs> Maybe she was good around you. Well, my, I know this pastor, I know, you know, people say, well, I go out so winning and I have people tell me, I've never sinned, I, you're a liar. We've all sinned. And if you've never sinned, then you're telling your first lie right now, because that's a sin. <laughs> We're all sinners. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, here's the thing. When Boaz went to the kinsman who's near, he said, will you redeem the parcel of land? And he said, yeah, I'll take the land. He said, but you've got to take... Ruth with it. And he says, I'm not interested. And when the Lord Jesus Christ came to the law and said, would you, would you redeem Ruth? He said, I'll redeem the world, but I don't want that Ruth. He said, I, I, I don't, he said, it's going to mar my inheritance. 
He says, they're not perfect. They don't attain to my law. They don't attain to my perfect standard. He said, if they could keep the whole law, maybe I'd take them. But he said, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point. He's guilty of all. He said, I don't want anything to do with it. Look at Romans chapter number 8. So what happened? Look at, look at verse 3. Romans chapter number 8. Look at verse 3. Who's the nearer kinsman to us? The law. Look what he says in verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the... How was it weak? It was weak through the what? Flesh. Flesh. So you know why the law can't save us? We preached about it this morning. Because your flesh is sinful. Because your flesh is lustful. Because your flesh is... uh, uh, You know, if it wasn't for our flesh, the law could redeem us. (laughs) But because of our flesh, because of our sinful flesh, the law cannot redeem us because we're sinners. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness, notice, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Was He sinful flesh? No, He wasn't. But He was like. He was close. He was a near kinsman. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. See, the beautiful thing about, you can go back to Ruth. The beautiful thing about the story of Ruth is that this near kinsman says to Ruth, I'll redeem you. But he said, there's a redeemer who's closer to you than I am. And he says to this redeemer, do you want to redeem Ruth? And he says, I'll redeem the land, but I don't want Ruth. And he says, okay, I'll step in. Just the gospel, my friend. Religion cannot save you. Being a good person cannot save you. Going to church cannot save you. Being baptized cannot save you. I, you know, just uh, this morning after the service, my wife gave the gospel to a young lady. God said, I, I had the privilege to give the gospel to a couple of people. And, and you know, it's the same story every single time. I asked this young lady, I said, do you know for sure if you die today when you go to heaven? She said, well, I, I sure hope so. I think I'm on my way. I said, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Well, I'm a pretty good person. That's what she said. And I'm not mocking her. It's a very common statement. She said, I, I try to, here's what she said, I try to follow the law. And what I had the privilege of saying to her is, you know that near kinsman you're trusting in, the law? He wants nothing to do with you. He will not redeem you. But let me introduce you to a kinsman redeemer that will. Because enter in the Lord Jesus Christ, enter in Boaz, and he says, I'll take, I'll take Ruth with all her imperfections. I'll take Ruth. It doesn't matter if she's been married to another man. It doesn't matter if she's a Moabitess. It doesn't matter if, she, if she's not uh, an Israelite. He said, I'll take her. I'll love her. I'll give her a home. I'll protect her. He says, I am the kinsman redeemer. That's the beautiful story of the story of Ruth. You're there in Ruth chapter number 4. Look at verse 6. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to, to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning the redeeming and concerning the changing. For to confirming all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore, the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day, that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, and all that was Chilion's, and all that was Malon's, of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife. That's you and I. That's the church. 
to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. Now here's what I want you to understand, okay? Boaz loved Ruth. Boaz wanted to marry Ruth. Boaz was willing to look past Ruth's imperfections, her bad history, her, you know, the, where she descended from. He was, he was willing to look past that and say, you know what, I'm not going to have such high standards like the law over here. He said, I'll look past that and I'll redeem you. Because he loved her. For God so loved the world. But that's not the reason why he married her. Don't miss this. He married her because he loved her. But legally, on contract, the reason he redeemed her was to raise up seed to his brother. See, yes, God redeemed you and I because He loves you and I. But on paper, you know why He redeemed the church? To have children. You know what? You say, what is that? Uh, you... We, we, we bring forth after our own kind. We, remember we were talking about this morning. If any be in Christ, he's a new creature. When I go out, like I did this afternoon, like my wife did this afternoon, and give the gospel to someone, I labor together with God, and we bear, and there's born again a new son or a new daughter in the family of God. And hey, I took part of that. Spiritually, those are my children. And spiritually, that's the child of my wife. We understand that God saved them. But our job, Ruth, well, I just married Boaz because I love him. No, you married Boaz to have children. And God married you, and Jesus Christ married you, and when I mean you, I mean the church, to go out and bear children. To get other people saved. To go out and, and reproduce ourselves. To go out and, 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 and look at verse 10. Moreover, Ruth the Moabite says, His wife of Malon have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is coming to thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And uh, do thou worthily in Ephrathah and be famous in, he's saying, in Bethlehem. He's saying, Hey, I hope your wife has as many kids as, as Rachel and Leah did. Remember when we were studying Rachel and Leah in the book of Genesis? They had a lot of kids. You know what God looks down at Verity Baptist Church? He says, I hope that wife of mine has a lot of kids. I hope that wife of mine bears a lot of children for me, spiritually. Look at verse 12. And let thy house be like the house of Pharaoh, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, and of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. And Naomi took the child. Notice, it's Naomi's child. Because it's 
continuing her lineage. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the woman, her neighbor, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Pharaoh. Pharaoh begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Amminadab, and Amminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Solomon, and Solomon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. You say, who's that David? I don't know, you might have heard of him. King David, you ever heard of David? Famous, famous man. Now here's, let me show you one more thing I'm done. Go to Matthew chapter number 1. Not only does the story of Ruth teach us of the kinsman redeemer of the Lord Jesus Christ, redeeming us when the near kinsman, the law, would not redeem us, in a very practical way, it teaches us that the rewards, listen to me, the rewards of forsaking this present world are more worthy than physical gain. Ruth left Moab, left her family, left her security, left her job, left her finances, left everything she knew to follow Naomi and Naomi's God. And the world would say, you're in a cult. <laughs> they say, you're crazy. You're going to go serve the God of Israel? Why? We've got our religion. And we've got our friends and our family and our riches here. But you know what came of it? Ruth ended up being... In the same lineage as David, you say, well, that's pretty cool that Ruth was the grandmother of, of, of David. But here's what's even more cool than that. You're there in Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 1. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, do you see that? The son of Abraham. See, the Lord Jesus Christ was a direct descendant of David. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Pharaoh, and Zerah, notice this, of Thamar. So we've had a lineage start from uh, Abraham, and we've had one woman mentioned, of Thamar. That's talking about this was his wife. And Pharaoh begat Ezram, men. And Ezra begat Aram, men. And Aram begat Aminadab, men. And Aminadab begat Naeson, men. And Naeson begat Salmon, men. And Salmon begat Boaz, right? That's what we just were reading about. Boaz is a different spelling in the New Testament. Of Rechab. Hey, that's interesting. Boaz' mother was Rahab the harlot. Isn't that interesting? Maybe that's why he was so open to the Moabitess woman. Because his mother was a harlot. And she got saved. And she got right with God. And Solomon begat Boaz of Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed of... Notice what it says. Ruth. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been uh, the wife of Urias. I'm not going to read all of it, but skip down to verse... Let's just go to verse... Uh, uh, 15, and Eliud begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Let me tell you something. This young lady, Ruth, may have left a job, may have left a family, may have left security, but what she gained was this, a, a, a name in the lineage of, none, you say, of King David? Yes, David. But even more than that, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the, here's the amazing thing. You study that whole lineage, only four women mentioned. All men. Four women mentioned. And Ruth was one of them. 
And I've been in heaven. She says, it was worth leaving Moab to be able to say that. Through me, God worked to bring King David, who then God promised that King David that King David would bring to us through his lineage, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we can learn from that is that, look, sometimes you have to give up physical, maybe wealth, security, whatever it is. And the blessing may not be financial. Although it was for her, she ended up marrying Boaz, who was a very wealthy man. But even more than that, there's a spiritual blessing. At the end of your life, you may look at your life and say, man, I could have made more money if I would have not served God. Or I could have done more things if I could have not served God. But the spiritual blessing, you don't know who's in your lineage. Say, is Jesus Christ in my life? Of course not, we understand that. But maybe you'll raise the next King David. Maybe you'll raise the next great preacher. Maybe you'll raise the next man of God, the next woman of God, who turns this world upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it'll only happen when you leave Moab. Say, well, I can make more money in Moab. Yeah, but is it worth it? Ruth would say, man, I'd do it again. Because God allowed me to be part of a family that ended up turning the world upside down. And guess what? You get the same opportunity to be part of the same family. But you know what our problem is? We never leave Moab. Because I like Moab. I'm secure in Moab. Why don't we be like Ruth and say, you know what? I'm just going to follow God. It doesn't make sense and everybody else mocks it and everybody thinks it's insane. But at the end of the book, Ruth's on top. Ruth won. She got her knight in shining armor. And she was used of God in a mighty way. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church. And Lord, thank you for allowing us to study the book of Ruth. I, I love the book of Ruth. I wish I could have done a better job with explaining it and preaching it and teaching it. But I pray you'd use the passage to help people tonight. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen.